Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. We believe that this message is going to open up the seals and cause you to have a deeper revelation into the Word of God that will make you see beyond the letters in the Word. Here is Dr. David. All right. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You're welcome. Once again, we want to continue with uh, our study on Acts chapter 1, as we'll be dealing with, reading from verse 9 to 11, the show of Christ coming in like manner. And this is going to be part number 3. But on your overall broadcast, which has to do with the last day predictions, this is going to be part number 14. Amen. And uh, we'll be dealing with this aspect that has to do with every eye we see here. So you read from Revelation 1, verse 7 the Bible says, Behold, he cometh with the clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also that pierce them, and all kindreds of the earth shall will because of him. Hallelujah. Now, I've been asking this question. If he left in a cloud, according to verse 9 of Acts chapter 1, how come it's coming with clouds? Uh, similarly, we've not taken thought of this. We've not actually examined this. But the conviction we have is that it's going to be coming from the cloud. Everybody will see him, even those appearance them. In fact, we don't really take note of that word, even those appearance them. We don't think about that when we read, every eye shall see him. Uh, and we do know, sometimes you ask them the question, how is it going to be possible? Because, for instance, the earth, uh, there are some people going to bed now, other people are just waking up. We are in the evening, others are coming in the morning. How are they going to be seeing him, everybody? And the answer they give to you was just like television broadcast. Okay, praise the Lord. No problem about that. So, anyway, let's look at this. And he said, even though the appearance him, every eye shall see him. So, now, let me tell you a story of a minister of the gospel in the United States. Now, I'm not going to call the name. Uh, in the late 70s and early 80s, this man would leave his wife in the bedroom every midnight to stand outside under the moonlight with no clothes on. Maybe the boxer or something. Making sure he's not under any tree in a bit for him not to miss the rapture. That's how captivating that was. I, I really want to thank God for the life of that man because he was practicing what he believed. A lot of people who talk about the rapture today, they don't even put anything in place to really show that they are really prepared for a rapture. This man will leave the bedroom. Uh, he was thinking about the issue of the midnight cry. At midnight there was a cry. So he leaves the bedroom, go out there, under the moonlight, making sure he's not under any tree and waiting for the rapture. He did that for years. And of course, he never got anything because, you see, that's what religious belief and ignorance can do to any man. No matter your level of education, once you build your hope on a wrong doctrine and premise, it was so devastating for a man to behave that way. Amen? But the, the trouble is actually from the wrong doctrine he believed in and the premise for which he was acting. So, the faith was wrong because the 
the, the premise by which you build the faith was wrong. Are you following that? Alright. Now, looking at the above passage with that Revelation 1 verse 7, the common understanding we have is that Jesus will be coming with clouds, and every eye shall see him, even those that pierce them. My friend, I don't want you to make this fact. Again, Jesus left in a cloud, so he shouldn't be coming in clouds. If so, it's no longer in like manner. Remember, he said, this Jesus, you see, go into heaven, shall to come in like manner. Now, if he left in a cloud, how is he coming in clouds? Then that can no longer be in like manner. Again, every eye did not see him when he ascended. Therefore, it cannot be the same manner for every eye to see him coming back. That is practically impossible. It contradicts the statement of the two men. Amen? It therefore means that we need to understand what the clouds are with which he is coming. And the every eye that must see him in the clouds. In order to have a clear picture of what the Spirit is saying to the church. Now, in true biblical interpretation, you must first look into the Old Testament to see how a term is used. And then look into the New Testament to see how it is unfolding. Get what I'm saying right. You really have to first of all look at the Old Testament and see how that a particular term is used, and then you come down to the New Testament to see how such a term is unfolding. That is how you get through interpretation of scriptures. Because largely, most of these authors they borrowed just symbolism from the Old Testament. And I want you to understand that, and it's very important, very, very important. If you truly, truly want to interpret scriptures accurately, you must follow this principle. Is that okay? And you see, when you look at the New Testament, you begin to see the unfolding. From the old, you'll be able to see how the symbols also were used. Then when you come to the New Testament, you begin to see how they are unfolding in God's plan and purposes which is the ultimate goal of all scriptures. God's plan and purposes is the ultimate goal of all scriptures. Is that okay? Alright. Now, let's look at Zechariah for instance. In the book of Zechariah, just let us know that John picked from the Old Testament. Look at the book of Zechariah, chapter number 12. I'm reading from 10 to 14. And this is what it says. And our Paul, take a moment, man. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Follow it. And they shall mourn for him as one more for his own son. Okay? And shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his father. Verse 11 says, And in that day there shall be a great morning, right, in Jerusalem, as the morning of Haradrimon in the valley of Megiddo. And verse 12 says, And the land shall mourn, every family 
apart, the family of the house of David apart, and the wives apart, the family of the house of Nathan apart, and their wives apart. Verse 13 says, the family of the house of Levi apart, and their wives apart, family of Shinnah apart, and their wives apart. Then the last verse says, all the families that remain, every family apart, and their wives apart. Now this is what Zachariah said. So, a careful look at the scripture will reveal that John borrowed the language of prophet Zechariah in Revelation 1 verse 7 as an apocalyptic writing. For the Jews, they knew what John, I mean they knew that John borrowed every eye shall see him from this particular book. And they also have the understanding that they are pensive. Now, the Jews knew that John borrowed his every eye shall see him and they also appeared him from the book of Zechariah and other books of the Jewish writers. They knew that. The Hebrew word for family is Mishaka and it means family by extension a tribe or people. So in essence, Zechariah was saying that the tribes of the land who mourn for him whom they have pierced. Who were those tribes? The inhabitants of Jerusalem, of course, according to Zechariah. The earth is the land of Palestine, specifically Jerusalem. Also, it is those tribes that is the nation of Israel who will look on me whom they have pierced. And because of that, the mourning in Jerusalem will be great. And we see that the tribes of the earth in Revelation 1.7 are actually the nation of Israel. It's not talking of the planet X. You first of all have to get that at the back of your mind. It's not talking of the planet X. It's talking about the tribes of Israel. That's what we're referring to. The various tribes, they are like the tribes of Israel. The earth here is talking about Palestine. The land that will mourn is Jerusalem. Amen? So, for John, Zechariah 12, 10 to 14 was applicable to Jesus' crucifixion and the judgment that came to Jerusalem in AD 70. The clouds being the Roman soldiers that the Lord rode into Egypt in a cloud in Isaiah 14 verse 1 through the Assyrian armies. But unfortunately, this, I mean, furthermore, this received, get me right, but furthermore, this will receive a kind of final fulfillment when all the tribes of the earth will mourn when they look on him whom they are pierced. That will mean harsh speeches and rejection from Jesus. When he will return in the clouds of glory to judge the earth. But not to rapture away anybody. No, that is not the purpose of his coming. What then will be this cloud of glory with which is coming for judgment? We know that a cloud speaks of people already from previous broadcasts. So now we'll read again First Thessalonians, I mean Second Thessalonians, just go with me. Second Thessalonians chapter one, and I'm going to read it from um let's from verse number 
verse 1. I think verse 1 to 8. Okay, take it up to 10. Verse 1 to 10. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Now you come with me. Listen to this. Hallelujah. And this is what the Bible says. I, Paul, and Silas, and Timothy, also the church of the Thessalonians in God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace from God our Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God. Always for you, brethren, as it is made, because at your faith great exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you are towards each other abounded, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God, for your patience and faith in all persecutions and tribulations that you endured, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Sin, it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, begin to follow. Rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, the cloud now, amen, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Verse 10, finally, when he shall come, listen closely, to be glorified in his saints, and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you will believe in that day, in that day. And I want you to know that. But if verse 10 is the key point, listen to this. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints, and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you will believe in that day. Now, we know this book, we know that this book of Thessalonians was written in A.D. 50 to 51, between A.D. 50 to 51, and, uh, and that's from 20 years before the fall of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. So Paul was encouraging this church, based on the past, he was not encouraging them. So now, you move on, you're able to notice again the parallel in this particular passage. What you notice there is, while the unbelievers are being punished, the saints are being glorified, not taken away. Is that okay? The saints are being glorified, when it shall come to be glorified, in the saints that we admire, in all them that believe in that day, when, when it comes to be glorified. Now, you see what happened on the day of Pentecost? You see how much the life of God came into the people? You see how they begin to admire somebody like Peter? In R3 and 4, when he healed the man at the beautiful gate, and they were wondering how come Peter was such, you know, you know who Peter was? And they were just wondering how come, how is it possible that he could do this? And the Bible said, and they took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. That was their admiration. Somebody of their own people, somebody who had been a fisherman, could come with such miracles being displayed right at the temple. Now they took knowledge that they have been with Jesus. That's the admiration that comes to people who trust in the Lord. And that's what we're talking about. Now, why you say again, going down to the day of destruction as it went in AD 70, 
why these things have been, you know, glorified, exalted, and rejoicing, if you will, all of the unbelieving Jews who have been destroyed or killed right there in Jerusalem. So, beloved, now we are the sons of God, the Bible says. This is essentially what it means by the coming of the Lord. I want you to get this because it's very important. So, now we are the sons of God, the Bible says. And it doesn't really appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Now, you don't see Christ the way he is based on what you see on magazines or calendars or the things of being left behind. You don't see Christ that way. No, we know my father flesh. Even though we have no class, others say, henceforth know we him no more. Second Corinthians 5 and verse number 6. You see, what it means is, listen to this, you see to become, not to go away. If you look at the book of Second Corinthians 3, number 8, as a matter of fact, you read it from, um, let's say verse 17, Second Corinthians 3, and I will look at verse 17. And this is what it says. Second Corinthians 3, read it from verse 17, and it said, Now the Lord is thus spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Once you together, now the Lord is that Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. What, when you say that Spirit, it means the Holy Spirit that came on the day of Pentecost. Verse 8 says, But we all, with open faith, beholding as in the glass, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even by the Spirit of the Lord. In other words, the more you look at Christ, the more you become Christ-like. Can you see that? So, when he says, when he shall come, we shall see as he is, he's not talking about the human structure. That's not what he's dealing with. He's dealing with the experience we shall have. How is he? He's in a glorified body. He's no longer who he used to be in Palestine when he rose from the grave. Remember, he personally showed himself unto the disciples, but in a glorified body. Hallelujah. The kind of body that could pass through doors and walls, he was able to get in there, even though the disciples were afraid that they locked themselves up. That's the kind of body. So when you say you see him as he is, you are receiving or becoming transformed into that same body of his. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now let me show you something. Where do you think it's coming from? For instance, when he shall come, we shall see him as he is. So where do you think it's coming from? Let's quickly look at this again. And this is very important. I would like us to read two passages of scripture on this for you to get some clarity on that as well. Uh, first of all, if you look at the book of Colossians, um, chapter 3 and 3 to 4, it tells you something very, very significant that you need to know about this. Colossians 3, and then we'll look at 3 to 4. Hallelujah. First of all, let me just take up verse number 1. Colossians chapter 3. This is what it says. And if you there be a reason with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ seated on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not of things on the earth. For ye are dead, listen to this, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Verse 4 says, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Hallelujah. Where is he appearing from? Not from the sky. Okay, let's look at Philippians chapter 3, and I'll read the last two verses. Philippians 3, the last two verses. Let's take it from verse 20 and 21. For our conversation is in heaven, not shall be, 
the world turn back to Charlie means our life, our livelihood, our how do I put it now? From our existence, the way we live is heavenly. It's not talking about you talking to someone else. For our conversation is in heaven. For which also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus. What is the point here? Look at verse 11. I mean 21. Philippians 3. Who shall change our by body that may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Did you get that? That is the purpose of his coming. And that is where it's appearing from. So, now, now, what, what, what this passage is showing us, this Philippians 3, 20, 21, and Colossians 3, 3 to 4, is just exactly what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. That kind of glow, that kind of manifestation that took place, that's what he's talking about. That is his coming. It's coming from within us. Christ in you, Colossians 1.27, is the hope of glory. Amen? So, the coming is from within. And that's to do what? To bring God into a place of transfiguration exactly the way He was. So, when you see Him, you shall be like Him. And that's what happened on the matter of transfiguration. And Peter was beginning to say, Amen, we would like to be here. Now, you know, in Luke chapter 9, when you read that clearly, it says, Peter, not knowing what he said, when he said, well, let's make three tabernacles for you, one for you, one for Moses of Elijah, and let's abode here. The Bible has not knew what he said. Why do you think he said, or the scripture said, not knew what he said? Because that was not a time for tabernacles. When he was saying that, even Pentecost had not come. But we have three major feasts in Israel, which are to do with Passover, Pentecost, and tabernacles. They have not even experienced Pentecost, and was thinking they have to get tabernacle because they desire to live in a glorified body at that particular time. And that's why Peter said, not knowing what he said. Is that okay? So, it's like he was pulling, pulling back or, 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 or just reversing or bringing closer. He was trying to bring closer what is supposed to happen in the future. You can pass through, I mean, you can get into tabernacles without faith getting through what? Pentecost. Is that okay? Right. Praise the Lord. Now, I need to show you, remember, we're talking about it's coming in the clouds. The people. Right? Okay. I need to show you something. If you look at the book of Deuteronomy, and this is very important, I would like you to pay close attention to this, because it opens you up to see exactly what the scripture is saying. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 33, and I'm going to read from verse 1 to 2. The key point is verse number 2. The Bible says, This is the blessing wherewith Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. And he said, The Lord came, listen to this, from Sinai, that's my Sinai, and also from Seir, unto them, to shine forth from Mount Paran. And he came with ten thousands of his saints from his right hand went a fairy love for them. Can you get that? So describing what happened where? At the, mount, at the mountain where the Lord uh, actually gave them the laws. But he said the Lord came with them. But I want you to understand something. If you say the Lord came with them, where was God? There was no physical human being that came there with them. But he's describing when they came all the way from Egypt and how the Lord was among them and how the Lord gave them the law right on the mountain. 
They were now his bride. They were his people. He was their husband. They were the wife of God. We said that before. I mean, Exodus chapter 19, you can be able to see that precisely when he said, I took you unto my side like a good wing. You know all of that, okay? Praise the Lord. So here, the Bible is saying, came with them. That means they were one. Praise the Lord. That's what I want you to see. Now, you go to the New Testament. You see, you find that in Old Testament, and you go to the New Testament. Look at the New Testament. And I'm going to read from, um, let me just again from verse 14. From verse 14. And this is what it says. And in of also the servants from Adam prophesied of this saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints. Glory to God. Did you get that? The Lord comes with ten thousand of his saints. To do what? Verse 15. I'm reading to you. Verse 14 out of 15. 15 says, To execute judgment upon all, to convince all that are ungodly among them all, of the ungodly deeds which have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Did you see that? Verse 16. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own laws, and their mouths speaking great swelling words, having men's passion in admiration because of advantage. Praise the living God. Did you get that? I just want you to get this. The Lord is coming with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment. Praise the living God. So now, he comes for judgment, but he's coming through and with the people. Can you notice that? He's coming through and with the people. Now, if you read this from the Amplified Translation, and this is what it says. It was of these people, Malabar, that Enoch and the seventh generation from Adam prophesied when he said, Behold, the Lord comes with his myriad of holy ones. His myriad of holy ones. That is 10,000 of his saints. Meaning here, he has become one with his saints, so they are now the myriad of himself. Glory to God. Are you seeing that? They are now the myriad of himself. King just said 10,000. Praise the Lord. Amen? Now, Jesus took his message of this language from the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verse number 10. And he said, A very stream issued, Daniel 7, 10, and came forth from before him. Thousands and thousands ministered to him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set on the books we are opening. Praise the Lord. Can you see that? Hallelujah. Can you see the connection? That's where exactly Jude takes his picture from. His message, Jude 14. He took it from Daniel chapter 7, verse number 10. Right? The stream actually here describing the fiery law, like you read in Daniel, I mean, Deuteronomy 33. Right? Good. And then thousand and ten thousand minutes unto him, and then ten thousand, ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was said. And the books were opened. Can you see that? Hallelujah. Now, let us understand this. And it's important. God just sinned in Christ. I want you to get that. God just sinned in Christ. He took the sin of the world upon himself, upon Christ. He just sinned in Christ. Now, Christ judged the devil on the cross. You can see that in John chapter 12, verse 31. The Bible says, Now is the judgment of this world. 
now shall the priest of this world be cast out. The judgment of the world, which is the priest of the world, took place on the cross. So, what is the next stage? I want you to get this. So, if I tell you now God is not judging the world, or it's not going to judge the world, you will understand it. And you might feel that's blasphemy. But that's exactly what it is. So, listen closely. The Bible tells us precisely God just sin in Christ. You believe that? And Jesus said, is judging the prince of the world, and the world itself went on the day that's on the cross. Hallelujah. Now, what's the next stage? The change in our Christ shall judge the world. So, you see this from the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, right? If you look at 1 Corinthians, uh, and that, that's going to be 1 Corinthians, we just look at chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and, uh, and that's not this what it says. 1 Corinthians 6, are you there with me? Good. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and this is what it says. Read up to, uh, let's say verse 3. Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and on before the saints? Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? Hallelujah. Are you there? Praise the living God. How much more things that pertain to this life? So, here we see that the judgment is given to the saints on the most high. The church. Praise the living God. And, and so, like I said, God just came in Christ. Christ judged the prince of this world. The same with just the world. That's the progression. Now, if you therefore uh, take a good time to look at scriptures to be able to see this precisely as well. Let's, let, let's quickly look at the book of Daniel and uh, Daniel, the book of Daniel. See what Daniel said about what I've just read to you. The book of Daniel and then we look at uh, let's look at chapter 7 of the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 7 and this is what it says and I want to read I'm going to jump some verses, but uh, I read from verse 18, 22, and 27. Let us take it there. Daniel 7, 18, and this is what he said. Hallelujah. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever. You can read through, but let's go to verse 22. Until the ancients of this came, and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. And the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. Glory to God. Verse 27. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominion shall serve and obey him. Praise the living God. Can you see that? Amen. Now, if you can understand how Samuel and Deborah were judges in Israel, then this will be difficult for you to understand. Now, in the, all of those cases, some have been a judge in Israel, they would have been a judge in Israel, and all other judges, right? 
there was no physical God with them before they did all that. Is that okay? There was no one like a physical God in one particular location before they were made judges. And so when Israel asked for asked, asked God, they asked when he asked for a king. Right? When Israel came up to say, we need a king, God told Samuel, they have not rejected you but me. Is that okay? So, conclusively here, every eye will see Christ through the glorified church. As the man-child, the overcoming church, that shall rule the nation with a rod of iron. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Are you there with me? Every eye shall see. Listen closely. The Lord come but through the church. Hallelujah. Are you following? Praise the Lord. I want you to capture this. It's going to be through the church that every eye can see Christ. Not one human being floating down from the sky. Okay? So, let's make progress now. So, when we begin to read, before he comment with the clouds, and everybody shall see him, we have to understand how this happens. Now, a similar passage, if you go down to Matthew 24, Jesus said the same thing. Now remember Matthew 24 was a major text that he used to tell the Israelites how judgment was going to come to them through the Roman army. Is that okay? So, in Matthew 24 verse 30, he said this, and then it shall appear. Now, let's never read a little bit so that um, 30. Let me read this. Okay, 30, that's fine. Matthew 24, 30. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth more. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and with glory. You see the morning again. Which has to do with the man that appears. The rejection. All of that with the to Christ. Are you there? So, this is the fulfillment of the prophecy again of Daniel that we read before. Daniel 7, if you look at verse 13, you'll be able to see that. And he said, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancients of days, and they brought him near before him. Verse 13, and I was giving him what? Dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations shall learn with, she said them. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom that we shall not be destroyed. Can we get a connection now? So, his thing is coming to deal with the Israelites, but it's coming to a people. And when that is done, because they're trying, now they were trying to, he was trying to tell them what is going to happen. Hallelujah. So here he said, these don't have dominion when it comes to what? The clouds of heaven. He was quoting Daniel chapter 7, 13 and 14. Is that okay? So, all these clouds of heaven are a people filled with the Spirit and the life of God. That's what it stands for. Is that okay? 
these are the carriers. Now, you listen to something here. Let me show you. There is something you, you probably may not be able to notice so much just reading it, but let's look at it again. I'll show you something here. Verse 13. Now he says, And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man, and then that shall amen. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, which are basically Jesus right there. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and with glory. For that transition says, is coming and sitting. Is that okay? In other parts again. Coming and sitting. Now, if you come in and sitting, it simply means something is speaking you. It's just like you travel with an aeroplane. You fly with an aeroplane. I'm coming, but I'm in a plane. Something is carrying you. So if it's coming with, right? It's right in the midst of the people. His mold or vehicle of, of movement is the cloud. Does that make any sense? Praise the Lord. All right. Now we know this because Scripture says this to us. In Proverbs 25, verse 14, it says, For we know that whoso boasted himself of his first gift is like clouds and wind without rain. Proverbs 25, verse 14. Did you get that? He who boasts himself of his first gift is like what? Clouds and wind without rain. Now, you, you look at the book of Jude. I'll show you something. The book of Jude again. Jude, we read from verse number 10. Just to let you know that cloud speaks of people. It's not talking about the cloud up in the sky. I need you to get this right. Look at Jude 13 to 14. Okay, I want to take it a little bit from, um, from the 10. Jude 10 to 13. But they speak evil of the things which they know not. But what they know natural are brute beasts in those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of kings, and ran greedily after the arrow of the Lamb, for the world and perish in the gainsaying of Cory. You know what happened to Israel? Balaam prophesied for money. Korah was the one that stood and began to withstand Moses. Is that okay? Right. He said, these are spots in your face of charity that you come together in service. Hallelujah. When they face with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water. You see that? Remember what we said in Proverbs 25 and that's number 14. Whosoever puts himself of a false gift is like clouds and wind without rain. So here they are clouds without water. Carried about of wings, trees whose fruit withered, without fruit twice dead, plucked up by what? By the root. If I went further to verse 13 to describe them again, and I make you see that. Verse 13 says, Raving waste of the sea, forming out their own shame, wandering stars to women's reserve, the blackness of darkness forever. Praise God. Did you see that? So people like Cain, people like Balaam, people like who stand Moses, the Bible refers to them as clouds without water. It said they are raging waves of the sea. So this also tells you when it talks about the beast that rose out of the sea, we're talking about people who do not have the life of God. Not Atlantic Ocean. So glory to God. Are you there with me? And that's why when you read the book of Romans, I mean Revelation 10, and that's number number one, it talks about 
I just want to show you this in passing so that you can get an understanding too. Revelation 10, verse number 1. And I saw another mighty angel came down from heaven, clothed with a, I mean, with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head. Oh, glory to God. And his face was at it well, the sun and his feet still out of fire. Look at verse 2. And he had his hand, a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea, and his left foot upon the earth. Who do you think this person is talking about? This is Jesus. And that's how you see the glow on his head. That's a rainbow. The covenant God made with Noah. You remember that? That if I see this rainbow, I will no longer destroy the earth. So Jesus was saying so that God will not destroy the earth. He came with the rainbow on his head. With the full light. The covenant that God made with Noah. Is that alright? Hallelujah. And now what he talked about, uh, his left foot, no, his right foot upon the sea, his left foot upon the earth. What he's talking about is, he's conquering humanity. As in Adam, or as we born the image of the Archie, which appeared the image of the heavens, right? So the Archie here, the Archie here is speaking of the Adamic life and talking about the sea, talking about the raging wave of those who don't have the life of God. This is conquering. When you stand upon someone, or you say you are conquered down pain, like the early times, when you see a king defeat another king, they bring them on the feet and and march upon them. So that's what he's saying. He's conquering people. He's coming in the cloud. He left in the cloud. He comes in the cloud. Oh, glory to God. Are you there with me? Alright. So, Jude is telling us of those with first ministry. So, this class without water rain is telling us that these are people with first ministries. So, they carried about with tempest means they are easily carried about by every wind of doctrine. Like you can find in uh, Ephesians 4 verse number 4 they are easily carried by every wind of doctrine they believe all manner of things they just move on with all kind of things they don't have understanding they are not they simply can't read the scripture and get the mind of God they are carried by every wind of doctrine they try to populate the earth with doctrine which I will see their forefathers are put in place Amen so how do we then recognize this class without water now, if you take time to read scripture, right from the book of Peter down here to the book of Jude, Bible tells us, these men blaspheme in matters, teaching that do not have understanding about. These are men that blaspheme in matters, teaching they do not understand. They teach all manner of things without understanding. They do not understand the things they are professing to carry on. For example, like the rapture, they have no understanding about what he's talking about. They just speak it because some peasants said it, because some old people said it, some fathers said it, that is just it. They are like brute beasts. I mean, one of the characters of, the, of, of these people I'm saying, class without water, they are like brute beasts, creatures of instincts. Right? That is, the act on instinct or impulses instead of the Holy Ghost leading them. But only to be caught and destroyed, and like beasts, in the way that they behave. They too will be destroyed. I just need to show you that. You take time to read all of that for yourself. You'll be able to see the characteristics of these people that the scripture referred to as class without water. So when we read of First Thessalonians 4.17, then which we are alive, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. We've got to know this. When they talk about the dead in Christ, because that's what you see in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse number 17. When it says, the dead in Christ are a cut up. Right? 
Paul Thessalonians, let me quickly take a look at that and I'll show you what he's talking about. Verse 17. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be. Caught up with them. Who are the them? See, who are the them? Who are the them that we are being caught up with? Is that okay? You go back and read from verse number 13. You'll be able to find that there are three categories of people here. Hallelujah. Three different categories of people. We have those who are dead in Christ. We have those who are alive and remain. And then we have those who are, what do you put it? Alive and remain, dead in Christ, and sleeping Jesus. Now, when we say the dead in Christ are as false, like we normally read in the book of First Corinthians, it's not talking about those who are dead in the cemetery. To be dead in Christ means Christ's life is controlling your life. It's supposed to, to be dead in sin. You find that in the book of Romans. If you take down the book of Romans, Romans chapter 6, you'll be able to pick up what I'm talking about. You look at verse 2, and then you also, if you go down, you'll be able to see that. But verse 2, it's very precise about that. He said, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer in their own? Therein. Then we look at Ephesians 2. It talks about you were dead in sin and transferred. That's what it means to be dead. It's not talking about being buried. Anybody buried in the cemetery sleeps in Jesus. You got okay? That pollution theory also said the same thing. If you be risen with Christ, and you are dead, take your affection of things which are above. Hallelujah. Are you still there? Praise the living God. So, when we talk about dead in Christ, we are talking about those who are being controlled fully by the life of Christ. They are not dead in sin, they are dead in Christ. Praise God. So, when we say the dead in Christ are life force, not talking about rising into the atmosphere, into the air. No. But it simply moves into the place of glory behind the veil, like you can find in Hebrews chapter 6, 17 to 18. Wherein Christ has entered into as a foreigner in this race, which speaks of the realm of authority and victory at the right hand of God. Amen? Like also we find in Colossians 3, 1 to 3, 1 Peter 3, 21, 22. I just need you to think, take note of that. Is that okay? 1 Peter 3, 21, 22. Amen? Right. We're talking about entry to the place of dominion and authority. That's what means to rise. Just like we're talking about the beast that rose in the book of Daniel, Revelation. We're talking about kings that came into power. That what means to rise. So we said the dead shall rise first. We're talking about the dead in Christ have, first of all, the authority, the power, the glory, the victory of Christ exercised. You see, it's a similar thing you find on the day of Pentecost. When the 120 came down from the upper room, they were able to demonstrate a new life completely different from what was going on. Remember, they were celebrating the Feast of Pentecost. So we have people that were in the temple celebrating the natural feast, but those from the upper room, they demonstrated the reality of that feast. They rose fast. Praise God. Are you there with me? Right. So, the rising scripture speaks of coming into the place of power and authority. That's why you read of the beast that rose from the sea both the book of Revelation and the book of Daniel. These were kings that came to power amongst men. Now the word says, we shall be caught up. That means translated together with them 
in the same position of authority, rest, and power from the realm of human struggles in the clouds. Is that okay? We shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, not the atmosphere. Now, what cloud is this? Again, you know, he's talking about a cloud of witnesses. Is that okay? The cloud of witnesses. That's what you see there. Hallelujah. You can take time to read the book of Hebrews to be able to see what I'm talking about. So, who are these people? This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and in chapter 4, 13 to 14, it talks about those who are sleeping Jesus. Let's just talk about the dead in Christ. Right? And then you have those who are alive or remain. That means they've not come to the fullness of the Christ in their life. And then you have also the just that's the spirit of judgment made perfect, like you find in Hebrews 12, and then from 23 to 24. Is that okay? Right. The spirit of judgment made perfect, we have to do with the heroes of faith of Hebrews chapter 11. So we are caught up together in this cloud. All this realm, these this categories of people, those who are sleeping Jesus, those who are dead in Christ, and that the spirit of judgment made perfect, we are all moving together, and we found the clouds of glory because Jesus is coming. Are you getting that now? This is the vehicle that Jesus is coming with. The clouds of glory. The dead in Christ. Alive or remain. Are you following what I'm talking about? The spirit of judgment made perfect. Those who are sleeping in Jesus. We are coming together. Praise the living God. In fact, this talking about the unity in the perfect body of Christ. The church composed of all categories of Christians. But the saints of old that constitute this cloud is the people. Right? So Hebrews 12 verse 1, we compare the bow with so many cloud of witnesses. The cloud of witnesses, speaking of the heroes of faith. It's not talking of the earthly space. We are not compared about with empty space up there. Praise the Lord. So, this is the cloud we are caught up into. This is talking about the body of Christ in the state of maturity. Remember he said in Hebrews 11, they without us shall be made perfect. That means... We can come to, they can come to the place of perfection without us. We are coming together in the same realm. That's what it means, caught up together with them in the clouds. Hallelujah. So we are talking about the people of God's glory with whom it comes. What am I saying here? It is that in these clouds, the people with the anointing that the Lord shall come, even as the creation is waiting for the unveiling of the sons of God. But you find the book of Romans, chapter 8. This is, this is what we're waiting for. We just meet with the whole thing about rapture. No, it's not talking about rapture. Look at it in Hebrews, I mean Romans chapter 8. I just read for you for, from verse 19. Amen? Okay, I'll take it from 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Did you see that? For the anticipation of creation waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. Verse 29 said, For the creation was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him was subjected the same in hope. Now, I want to read under verse 23, because it's very important. You see, this is, a, this, is a, this is the program, this is the agenda of God. Look at verse 21. Because the creation itself shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption, into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So one thing you need to understand, the earth is what it is today because sons of God have not risen. Now, you've got to understand this, uh, that's the fact again. 
The creation is even turned to corruption because Adam fell. Adam was meant to control, to have dominion. When he fell, creation fell. So when the Spirit of God rises, creation comes up. Can you see the connection? That's why creation is waiting for such people. The restoration of the sons of God. So if you look at verse 22, Enoch said, Now remember, verse 21, again. Because the creature itself shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So creation is waiting for the children of God to arise, the creation to be set free. Is that okay? All of this is going on because sons of God have not yet come into place. Think about coronavirus, whatever the case may be. I mean, can you remember what happened? Jesus will speak to the wind and the sea. That's the Son of God. That's what we're talking about. That's the realm that the church is coming into. Praise God. That even the wind should obey Him. Because when He said, Peace be still, the wind was there, the wind was there, the wind was there, all the heads. When the Lord said, This is my beloved son, a woman well pleased. Hear, hear him. All creation had him. So when he spoke to the wind to be silent, they got to obey because that's what God said. Can you see what I'm saying? Now we rise into that same position. He is the head of the church. Everything he could demonstrate, we will be able to demonstrate the same thing. We are not preparing to go. We are preparing to take over. Can I hear an amen? All right. So when you go down to verse 22, you know, say, For we know that the whole creation groaned and traveled in pain until now. If you get that, verse 23. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruit of the Spirit. What is the first fruit of the Spirit? The Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. That is the first fruit of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wait, the redemption of our body. Oh, praise the Lord. Can you get that? We're waiting for the redemption of our body. The transformation into that same glorious body that they had when they rose from the grave. That's what we're waiting for. We're not waiting for the rapture. We're waiting for the transformation of our bodies into the glorious body of Him. The type He had when He was from the grave. Are you following? That's what we're waiting for. It's right here. Right? And not only they, but ourselves, we have the first fruit, the down payment. That's to say, the Holy Spirit is an assurance that we're going to have a glorified body because that's what first will stand for. It stands for down payment of the Holy Spirit. We are said, Brunner, we need not waiting for the adoption to be the redemption of our body. Verse 24 says, For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, what does he hope for? Hallelujah. Verse 24, But if we hope for that we see not, then do we, with patience, wait for it. What are we waiting for? A glorified body. Hallelujah. This operation is what they fall. And I'm saying, this cloud of glory are people who shall have moved into a dimension, cut up into that spirit realm. So, in the clouds, God's people, the full of rain, which is the life of God, they empty themselves upon the earth. That's mankind. That is 11 verse number 3. In the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 11, verse number 3, he said, In the clouds, the full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. Where is that supposed to mean? If God's people, the clouds of glory now, the full of the life of God, they are going to empty themselves upon mankind. What does that mean? Simply that. We become a blessing to the rest of mankind. We are still lost in Adam. But you might be asking me, but I thought they are coming for judgment, in other words, to judge the earth, 
So that's why it's a blessing because it is. Let me read the scripture to you. And, and, you, and I think this will answer a question. Yes, you are right. They're coming to judge the earth. But what happened if they are done judging with the earth? In quote. Let me show you. The book of Isaiah, chapter 26. Come with me to Isaiah 26. We find an interesting passage in the book of Isaiah 26. I want to read only verse 9 for you here. Listen to this. With my soul, as I pray, have I desired thee in the night. Yea, with my spirit within me, will I seek thee early. For when thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. Glory to God. Amen. When thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the earth will learn righteousness. Glory to God. So this is the point. When we come in to bless the earth, we're judging the earth. And the end of it is righteousness. It produces righteousness. And judgment is not unto condemnation. Therefore, if you look at the book of Psalm, chapter 68, verse 34, the Bible says, Ascribe your strength unto God. His excellence is over Israel. And His strength is in the clouds. Hallelujah. His strength is in the cloud. Isaiah 68, verse 34. So as the aspect of strength unto God, His excellence of Israel as the church, and His strength is in the cloud, class of glory. So, since His strength is in the cloud, He speaks of the people who are full of His life, revealing to us that the cloud is God's presence and medium of expression. So, it has nothing to do with the atmosphere above us, we better stop gazing into the sky, for it can only come in like manner through the overshadowing of the cloud of glory. The coming of the Lord with the clouds is actually a divine intervention in human history. You know what? Just like when he appeared, there was this change from BC to AD. Before Christ, now, A.D. and not Dominic. Is that okay? When he appeared on the scene, everything changed. Calendar changed. Date changed. From B.C. to A.D. So it shall be, there shall be a dramatic change in human affairs. You see, when Pentecost came, it changed the scenario of the world. So, when the feast of the Tabernacle comes down, it's going to inflame a new global experience. Hallelujah. The, 12, the 120 came down from the upper room and shook the whole world. That's the feast of Pentecost. So when we get into the feast of Tabernacle, oh my God, there's going to be a new global experience. And this is what we're waiting for. What COVID-19 is doing now is going to be, I mean, nothing compared. Because it's going to affect the whole world. There's going to be a shake in the whole world. You don't need the physical Jesus to do that. But rather, His abiding presence within His body. This is what creation is waiting for. Like I read before, in Romans chapter 8, verse 19 to 21. You don't need the physical Jesus. On the day of Pentecost, there was no physical Jesus, but the whole world shook. Is that okay? And up to now, the impact of Pentecost is still on all over the world. 
That was the move of God. That was Christ coming down. Praise the Lord. You don't need a physical Jesus to do that. Because abiding within his body, which is a cloud of glory. You listen to this again. I want to read from you, I mean for you, from the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, reading 20 to 23. From the message translation. I love it, the message translation. It's a Christ, when Christ is in charge of roaming the universe. Everything from galaxy to government. No name and no power exempt from his rule. Take that. And not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of all. He is in charge of it all. He has a final world on everything. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. And look at verse 23. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body, in which he speaks and acts, but which he fills everything which is present. Hallelujah. Can you see that? The church is what? Christ's body, in which he speaks and acts, but which he fills everything which is present. This is the role of the church. This is why the church cannot be taken out of the earth by way of rapture. This is why the church is going to come to the place of power and prominence and dominion. Because it's through the church that will fill the earth with the presence of God. Jesus as a single individual could not do this. But when he went to glory, he manifested himself to all men who have come to believe. But through his church, he can express himself to all creation, manifesting his presence. Glory to God. So, friend, it's not coming from the empty space. You will wait till you get into your grave. You are not going to see him come that way from the sky. Take my word for it. You are not going to see him come from the sky. It's not coming from the empty space. Is that okay? Listen to this. He wants to come through you, period. It is you that he wants to use to manifest his presence. Not anything else. Now, look at a, a, a very dramatic story or picture he painted for us in the book of John. Let's look at John chapter 12. You definitely will like it. John chapter 12. Let's look at... Uh, I'm going to read from now for you to get the whole picture. But here was a scenario that played out when the disciples came to tell him that the Greeks were looking for him. They want to see him. Now, John chapter 12. Okay, let's begin to read from, uh, let's say, oh, glory. Okay, let's look at it from verse 20. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship other faiths. The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethesda, of Galilee, and desired saying, Bah, we will see Jesus. Philip came and tell it Andrew, and again Andrew, and Philip told Jesus. And look at verse 23. And Jesus answered him and said, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. What do you think he's trying to say? Verse 24. Verily I say unto you, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, 
If he dies, he brings up more fruit. Here Allah says, life shall lose it. And he read his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal. If any man saw me, let me follow me. And where I am, there shall be also. Amen? Now, let's, let's stop it there. But we can just move down to... <clears throat> okay? Let's move on to verse 27. Now is my soul troubled. Follow it. And what shall I say? Father, save me, save me from this hour. But for this thought came I into the world, into this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came a, a, a voice from heaven saying, I have glorified it, and will glorify it again. The people therefore stood out, stood by, and heard it, said it thundered. Others said, and angel spoke to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sake. Now, look at verse 31. Now the judgment of this world, now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And if I be lifted up from the earth, withdraw a man unto me. Hallelujah. Did you get that? So, here is the story. Philip and Andrew came and said, The Greeks want to see you who came to the field. They want to see you. And Jesus said, Now, listen. I don't know my second story will have just to please. Okay. You tell them to hold him for a while. But he said, No. Look at the answer I gave to them. Very, very, I say unto you. But before that, he said, Our is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Very, very, I say unto you, except the corn of wheat fall to the ground and die, it abide it alone, but if it die, bring up more fruit. So, you know what he was telling them? He was simply saying this. Philip, you and Andrew, you're asking me, or you're coming to me that the Greeks want to see me. It's all because I'm still alone as an individual. But the hour for me to be glorified is coming. What's going to be the glorification? He's going to the cross. And when he dies, he moves on to the other side and comes down by the Holy Spirit and with the Holy Spirit to fill even Philip and Andrew and every other one who so much believe. You see that? In other words, he was trying to tell Philip and Andrew, by the time I'm done with what I want to do, if anybody's looking for Christ, show him yourself. So he is a corn of wheat. When he dies, he brings forth more fruit. Well, the more fruit. More people on the face of the earth. Meaning, he was going to go to the cross, and then he would not release the Spirit and reproduce more of himself, which is the Christ, upon the face of the earth. So that man would no longer be looking for one Jesus all over the place, or even in Jerusalem. Is that okay? You will no longer be looking for Jesus in one place. You will not be traveling to Jerusalem to look for Jesus. That's what he's telling them. You are asking people to come look for me because I'm still here standing. Then now I'm about to go to the cross. The hour is come. And as I go to the cross, I'm going to come back, pour myself upon every one of you. You become my carrier wherever you find yourself. And whoever is looking for Jesus, show him yourself. Are you there with me? So he comes with a cloud as a people of glory. Is that all right? To manifest his presence on the face of the earth. Like we read in the book of Ephesians. That through the church, we reveal himself. Reveal his presence. Manifest his presence. Wherever. In fact, fill all things with the presence to the church. Praise the living God. So friends, we're not waiting for one man. We're waiting for a corporate body. Hallelujah. We're waiting for the corporate church that come to the place of maturity. The sons of God that Creator is waiting for. That's what we're waiting for. Not one man to flow from the sky. We're waiting for somebody that is coming through a corporate body, which is the church. He's the head of the church where his body. Can you remember what happened even on the road to Damascus when Paul, which was Saul, then asked him the question? First of all, he said, Saul, Saul, why persecuted thou me? 
Paul said, Who are thy Lord? Now Paul never slapped Jesus. Paul never did anything physically to Jesus. You remember that? But he was dealing with the church. And, and Jesus identified with the church. Why? Because he said, Thou me. That's to say, What about you do to the church you are doing to me? Because the head of the church, the church is his body. It is the same thing. We are the ones to carry Christ to wherever he wants to go. By reason of the Spirit. Praise the living God. You follow what I'm saying? So friends, this is how it comes with the cloud. And this is how every eye is going to see him. Every eye is going to see him through the church. The manifest glorious cloud of God's presence. Wherever a church, wherever the body of Christ will be, God is going to manifest himself in that area. This is what the scripture is teaching us. So, it's about time we stop looking upstairs. For Christ is not coming from the cloud. I mean, in the sky, this empty space. No, He's coming through you and I, the very body of Christ, that He has brought you to glory. Praise the living God. I'm sure this thing is a blessing you. I'm sure this thing will give you room to go study again for yourself and be able to find out precisely what God is saying. We cannot in this little body are able to give exhaustive teaching on the things we're talking about. But this will give you some keys. These are just some keys that will enable you to go forth, to take a good study to be able to know what you believe. Don't forget what I said in the beginning about this man that will go out in the night. Why? Because we're waiting for Jesus to flow from the sky to rapture him away. He never saw it because that's not what God intends for his people. You're looking up all the time. You're trying to do certain things all the time because the rapture is coming. You're only wasting and disturbing your time. That's not what you should be looking for. What you're waiting for is a glorified body to walk on this earth in a glorified state of being. If people can demonstrate Pentecost, there are going to be some people that will demonstrate the Feast of Tabernacle. That's the putting of the glorified body. That's what we're waiting for. Praise the living God. I'm sure you have been blessed. The next thing I'm going to be discussing with you is the word of Armageddon. How again men are be so deceived, which is for one particular time, and they call it the word of Armageddon. There's a need for you to get an understanding about that. God bless you, friends. God bless you. Amen. Thank you for listening to Dr. David Ogaga. We know you have been blessed by this station. You can share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information, inquiries, and free downloads, please visit www.davidogaga.org or you can send us an email at gkai.net. God bless you.